Hey, this is James Buckley up in North Louisiana. When I have a raging fever for 80s and 90s nostalgia that I can't even cure with more cowbell, I turn to the experts. Jason Coffin and D. Graves on the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. All right, D, let's do the sound check real quick. All right. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Is, is that your LaGrange voice? How, 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 how? <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast, where we're here to talk some Z, Z, top, and we promise you, if we blow your minds, we will not let it go to our heads. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to be talking about beards and babes and cars and double entendres and great songs. Lawsuits and writers without credit and some vicious guitars and all kinds of stuff. There's some really cool stuff we're going to be discussing on this one. Yeah. I've been kind of looking forward to this. This is an album that I didn't own. You know, I'm kind of a ZZ Top Greatest Hits kind of guy, so... Yeah, you told me when we were, like, prepping for this, you were like, this is going to be kind of similar to our Police episode, where you were just kind of barely familiar with synchronicity and had to dive in, and then we were comparing that to Journey's Frontiers, and at the beginning of the idea to do that, you were like, it's going to be Journey. I have no question it's going to be Journey. But by the end, you're like... It's the police because you went, wow, these guys have so much to offer than I really realized. Very similar situation, I think. So I'm really anxious to see how that plays out with ZZ Top Eliminator versus our competitor, which we will do next week, which is Rebel Yell by Billy Idol. Now, I had MTV growing up. We've talked about this, how I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Tulsa was one of the pilot programs for MTV. So we had our MTV before New York City had MTV. You were on the right side of the road. I, I was on the right side of the road. Yeah. So they played ZZ Top every 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. You know, they also played Billy Idol every 15 minutes. So this is uh, this is kind of an interesting comparison. Early We're even going to have it. We're going to have a good MTV story <laughs> with the band. I know, right? Just before this album gets, starts getting recorded. So I can't wait to jump into it. Before we jump into Eliminator track by track, tell me your top three non-eliminator songs non-eliminator songs yeah. okay so for me afterburner was my favorite zz top album okay post eliminator all right yeah, yeah. And, and i'm actually kind of curious to see because you're a guitar player you are a bit more classic rock i think than i am in some ways you like led zeppelin some of the older stuff mm-hmm. the doors that type of thing and i'm like you know <laughs> synth rock right i'm right I, you know that's my sweet spot so yeah. for me my number three is a song off of afterburner okay one word title i don't know that this had a video just a really catchy song got a lot of radio play in 1986 uh one word title i'm not sleeping bag is a just two words and Uh uh-huh sleeping bag just missed okay all right i got it i don't got it what is this song is called stages okay you're gonna have to play that one for me can kind of remember that one a little on the radio a bit yeah. softer sound for them for sure yeah a bit more poppy yeah okay number three for you um yeah and i don't know that i necessarily have these in a particular order okay but the first one that i've i've got to say comes off of the album trace hombres and hit number one is it was about a brothel that is also mentioned in best little whorehouse in texas uh-huh and hint number two is it was an homage to John Lee Hooker and then John Lee Hooker's writing partner. I remember seeing the interview in like the late 80s where they were talking about LaGrange and like, yeah, this is an homage to John Lee Hooker. And like a few years later, I'm like, 
somebody's like, he's suing them. I'm like, what? Really? Yeah. So ended up suing. They lost. He, it lost. I know. But yeah, there you go. That's that's my hint. You got it. It's Lagrange. Right? Oh, of course, it's Lagrange. Oh, right. Oh. The guy who sued them was the publisher for John Lee Hooker. His name his name was Bernard Bestman, and he said they were infringing on the song Boogie Chillin', which had come out in like the late 40s. Huh. And the problem was they never got a copyright on it. The court was like, this is public domain, guys. Sorry. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. That's what happened with that one. All right. What you got? Number okay. two. Okay. All right. Uh, my second favorite non-eliminator's easy top song mm-hmm. is another song off of Afterburner. Had a funny little video to it. And this was kind of all the rage back in the day. We thought uh, tying your shoelaces was going to go out of style because this invention. <laughs> I know this one. This is a this is a great example of how they love B.B. King. This is Velcro Fly. Velcro Fly. Yeah. I just love the beat. and I mean, it's just, for me, this is classic MTV ZZ Top. So... My number two is off of Fandango, which came out in 75. It is not the, the bigger hits off of that album. Okay. Uh, but it's one, I can't, I, I feel like it's my friends in high school, maybe Laren Bashirs, if he happens to be listening. He was the one who kind of introduced me to these older ZZ Top songs. And I feel like he's the one that was like, when I started playing guitar, he's like, can you figure out how to play this song? And he introduced me to this. It is a very bluesy blues sounding song like your standard slow blues it sounds like the music that you hear in 16 candles whenever the party is over yeah and you sent it to me and i listened to it i'm like this sounds like when the pepperoni pizza is on the record player <laughs> yeah. what was that called blue jean blues John ran into my baby. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. Fantastic song. Not the one that people typically pick off of that one, but I was really happy. We watched the documentary on them that came out in 2019, and it was one that they were playing again just when they were sitting around in the studio, and I loved hearing it. Okay, number one. My number one song is about a brothel outside of Houston. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know... Before we get off of LaGrange, obviously that's what we're talking about here. Billy Gibbons did the vocals on this, and it's hard to imagine the same guy who sings LaGrange sings Legs. Right. I mean, his voice sounds completely different. Yeah, very different. And he was trying to distort his vocals, and it just wasn't happening for him. And they were recording in Memphis. It was cold. And he's like, hey, hang on just a minute. I'll be right back. So he takes off all of his clothes, like strips down to his his sweatpants or whatever, and he runs around the block two or three times, and when he comes back, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Ready. <laughs> That's perfect. That is perfect. My, I won't say this number one. Probably the Grange is my number one, but this okay. is in the top three. Is also off of Fandango. This is the one that is very popular after Fandango, and it starts with a nice yell. This one isn't sing, sung by Billy. This one is sung by Dusty. Okay, you threw me there because I was gonna go with Tush. Uh, that's, that, it's, that's it. Oh, really? Yeah, that one's sung by Dusty Hill himself. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we go. So Tush, of <laughs> yeah. course. Yep. There you go. I've got a list of ZZ Top songs that are double entendres here in just a minute. It's gonna, we're gonna have fun going through that list. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So, Eliminator was released March twenty third, nineteen eighty three. We have just, I mean, a few months ago, passed its fortieth anniversary. Yeah. This album sold ten million 
copies in the U.S. alone. To me, this is like the second act of, of ZZ Top. I divide the history of ZZ Top into basically three categories. You have the, the pre-Z, where the guys are playing in their various bands. Sure. Then you have the pre-Beards, right. which is you know, seventies through basically right up to the eighties. And then you have eliminator and beyond because this leveled them up, changed the game. I mean, this was a huge, huge album for them. You know, it's interesting to me when you look at the elements that make an artist successful, especially in the MTV years, this was more complicated recipe than like Madonna and wham. Right. So Madonna was good looks, good hooks. And like to wear lingerie. Well, yeah. I mean, every, I mean, she appealed to us sexually, right? <laughs> yes. uh, and we were rocking and rolling with yes, her. Thank you. Okay. But then you have other people. I mean, you know, Samantha Fox is kind of in that category. I would say that wham is good looks and good hooks, right? Yeah. But this is more than that. It's, it's guitars. It's the beard. It's the babes. It's cars. It's videos. It was a bit of a more complex formula to reach the success on MTV that they had, but still it was amazing. It was iconography at its best like let's pick things that can be logos that can define who we are trademarks i mean the beard the beard is what did it yeah yeah you know? well i mean all of those things you mentioned the girls the beard the car the spinning guitars i mean yeah it's all there yep yep and the songs were great yep and it's what is great is that in this particular album they have done a very nice favor for us 40 years in advance and said okay the first song on the album is also going to be our first video is also going to be our first single and so we can jump into it right now okay so the first song off of eliminator is a song called gimme all your lovin song is so good like a boomerang i need a repeat every time i listen to it because what you got is oh so sweet okay if i'm just just a ranking my zz top songs including eliminator this is number one this oh, is yeah? my favorite zz top song uh, it's a great song you can't i mean i can't deny you that It's fantastic. That beat coming in, that little, the shuffly beat that it's got, I love it. I got a story for you about the beat. So, Lyndon Hudson, who we're going to be talking about here probably more later. Yeah. He's a sound engineer guy, kind of a friend of the band. And one of the things that he started to notice, he would DJ at these events. Uh-huh. He said anytime he would play a ZZ Top song, people would stop dancing. And that really offended Billy Gibbons. He's like, what the heck? He's like, I was really proud of these songs. They're not danceable songs. Right. So Lyndon Hudson says, well, he started listening to all the hit songs on the radio and all the dancing songs are about 120, 124 beats per minute. Yes. And so he's like, we got to have more songs that have 120 beats per minute, guys. Yep. Boom. Here you go. Give me all your loving. And it's very precise. Because what they did on this album is a little bit shocking given their history. Right. Uh, but basically, they came back. 
Like they took a three-year hiatus. They came back. They had Deguelo that came out in 79 and Eloco that came out in 81. Right. After they had been on this hiatus. But they were looking for something different. Specifically, Billy was looking for something different. And the other guys were just like, man, I'm exhausted. Let's let's us just relax. And so they took out the Dusty parts and the Frank parts, except for a few little bits. And they kind of put in some drum machines and made it a little more crisp. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a great story for this. Lyndon Hudson's over at Frank Beard's house. Frank lived on a golf course, so he's always over there. They were playing golf all the time, right? Yeah, he, he's got his own studio. Like, by the way, this this album was recorded in three different studios. One of them was Frank's studio. One of them was the Ardent studio where they had recorded most of their other stuff. And then their, their engineer's home studio. He would take things home and work on it there. Sure, sure. So Lyndon's over at Frank's house. Ding dong. They go open the front door. It's Billy Gibbons. And Frank says, hey, how's it coming? You know, how's the album coming? Billy says, it's done. In the press. Headed to the street. Frank's like, let's hear it. So he pops it in. First song, of course, is Give Me All Your Lovin'. Three seconds in, Frank perks up. He's like, who in the f*** is this drummer? (laughs) Lyndon Lyndon said he left the room. Uh He's like, I don't need this drama in my life. I'm out of here. Yeah. Billy was in charge of this band, and he would just do whatever. And really, Bill Ham is kind of Bill Ham and Billy Gibbons. Yeah. And the kind of behind-the-scenes agreement was Dusty, Billy, and Frank would have this three-way share of ZZ Top, but Billy called the shots. Right. And Bill Ham called the shots that Billy called. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, okay, so real quick, Bill Ham, he was about 12 years older than the rest of these guys. These guys were all born, Dusty, Frank, and Billy, all born in 1949. Okay. Yeah, same year as my dad. And it's funny because we were talking and like the, the only guy who doesn't have a beard, his name is Beard. Right. And then the other two guys, you put their names together and it's Hillbilly. It's a band out of Texas. <laughs> it's perfect. Right. But Bill Ham is like the fourth member of the band. He was the manager of the band. He was their Colonel Parker. He was their P.T. Barnum. He was the guy who blew them up. Right. After these guys, like in the 90s, he became big in country music. And he's the guy that was also really responsible for Clint Black. Just a tragic story that goes along with that right there in the early 90s. His wife is just, I mean, she's like shopping, going to her car and this ex-con comes up, pushes her in the car, kidnaps her, then quote unquote uses martial arts to karate chop her neck and kills her. What? Yep. And dumps her body out in a field and escapes. And they don't find him for like five weeks. And finally, somebody sees the car. There is a high-speed pursuit. He ends up wrecking her car. But ultimately, he is caught. He is convicted. And he is executed for her murder. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's talk about the video for a second. <laughs> okay. Let's, 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 let's shift gears a little bit. So this is the first video where we get the, the 1933 Ford Coupe, the Eliminator car, they the call it. The Eliminator car, yeah. And it is sweet. I mean, I, I've always known it as the ZZ Top car. Yeah. I mean, it's on, the co- it's on the cover of the album. Right. And this is actually a car that Billy had been working on for years. He actually got together with a guy in 1976 that was an auto guy. His name was Don Thielen. They put a Corvette-style engine in there, and it's, I mean, it can run like the wind, and it becomes a defining icon of the band. Hey, I'm going to put it up there and say, this is the most iconic 80s video car. This trumps the White Jaguars from the Whitesnake videos. 100%. This is the video car. It's a, it was a magical car. Yeah, for sure. You know what else? What? Every time you pull over, babes freaking magically appear out of it. <laughs> yeah. 
you have the Eliminator trilogy of Give Me All Your Lovin', Sharp Dressed Man, and Legs, all featuring this car, all featuring three super hot babes doing magical things. <laughs> and and the band, I loved how you, I was like, they're just kind of these mystical fi- figures in the background. And you're like, yeah, they're the fairy godfathers. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what they are. There you go. That's fantastic. Let's let's talk about these three women for a second because okay. you have uh, Gina Keogh, who, if you ever watched Real Housewives of Orange County, she calls herself the OG of the OC, right? <laughs> She's like the okay. first housewife. Okay, okay. Uh, which I never watched that show, but uh-huh. her maiden name was Tomasino, so Gina Tomasino. She was actually Miss November 1980 in Playboy magazine. Then you have a girl named Danielle Arnond, mm-hmm. and she is French. French. Yeah. She's French? Yeah. And then you have this other girl who never got her name. They she never paid her. Never even showed up to pick up just a check. Vanished. Weird. That's like really she weird. Magically got into a car and drove away. <laughs> <I guess>. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. So these videos are all directed by Tim Newman. Yeah. So Tim Newman is the cousin of several famous people. Randy Newman should immediately jump out. Randy to you. Newman, the guy who sings "I Love L.A." Yes, and Tim Newman, what directed that video? He directed the "I he Love did. L.A." Uh-huh. video. We've also talked about Randy's brother Tim's other cousin David, who is a composer because he was the composer for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Whoa! They, the whole family and their father like composed the 20th Century Fox. All of that stuff. Wow, that's great. And um, yeah, so he had directed the I Love LA video. Bill Ham sees this video and he's like, I love what you've done here. I want you to meet my band, ZZ Top. Uh huh. And you know what he told him? You have to have these three things the car, got to have babes, got to have rock and roll. And he did it. Yeah. That's the recipe right there. The, the idea he got was the rest is up to you. He kept the appearance of the three ugly bearded men to a minimum. Like, yeah. let's just make these guys magical, mystical, like wizards out here. Put the sunglasses on, cover up their heads, you know, they, make them as cartoonish as possible. It's really cool, right? He literally said to them when he got there, he's like, I have these three beautiful women to offset you three ugly guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This song reached number 37 on it's the Hot 100. Insane. What? It's insane. How does it only get up to number 37? Even in 83. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. Are we done with this one? Yes. You ready to move on to track number two? Track number two is called Got Me Under Pressure. Likes cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I dig this one, man. Oh, that's great. This I love is another, it. Another you got two big songs right out of the box. Yeah. I've got a great story about the creation of this song. Let me hear it. So Billy Gibbons and Lyndon Hudson are sitting around one day and they start to write a song. So they write it, play it, produce it, complete it, send it into Bill Ham and say, Hey, we've got this track done. We want to include it on the album. So Bill comes in the next day. The band is there, and he's like, all right, guys, uh, play the song for me. I, I want to hear it, Pressure. And Dusty and Frank are looking at each other like, what are you talking about, man? He's like, you know, the song Pressure, play it. Dusty's like, I don't uh, think we know that song, Bill. The song was totally written, finished, demoed out, and they hadn't even heard it. Hmm. And that's just the way it went over there, you know? Yeah. She's the battle, it's too much for my brain. It's got me under pressure. 
think there were some hard feelings about that. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Did I lead into something you don't want to talk about yet? Well, no, I'm just thinking about, I mean, so it's weird to think about because these guys, they, I mean, they all three start in Texas, right? Yeah. You know, you've got, you got two guys up in Dallas, Dusty and Frank, and you've got another guy down in Houston, Billy, and they're ultimately on a crash course towards each other. The thing is, is they all go through their various bands together. So you've got Dusty and his brother Rocky who get together ultimately with Frank and they have this kind of early Beatles look like they've got the suits and they're playing that style of music. They've even got a female lead singer who's from England, which Dusty was like, if you've got a female lead singer from England, you're going to book wherever you want to in Dallas, Texas. Lady Wild and the Warlocks. Yeah. So ultimately, Frank gets his girlfriend pregnant. They've got to get married. He realizes, hey, I'm not going to make it here in Dallas, so I'm going to go try to go down to Houston. He leaves with his wife and kid, goes down to Houston, and that's where he meets Billy for the first time, right? right. And he's seen Billy play. Now, Billy has had all kinds of success at this point. He's had a band that he called the Moving Sidewalks. So he loses a couple of members of his band to the draft. They go to Vietnam. Yeah, and this is, I mean, they're going, they're like skyrocketing up. They have, they've played with the doors, they've played with the animals, and then they do a multi-set tour with the Jimi Hendrix experience, right? Yeah, that's right. And he said, Billy said the very first show that they did, they were told, hey, you got to have a show that's 40 minutes. He's like, well, for us to get a show that's 40 minutes long, we're going to have to play Purple Haze and Foxy Lady. And I don't know why no one else in the room went, you can't play the uh, songs that one here in a minute. of the yeah. band you're opening for. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> And so nobody told him that. They had just finished Foxy Lady. He goes into the intro of Purple Haze. He looks over at the side and he sees Jimi Hendrix with his arms crossed, staring at him. And he gets done with the song and he comes over to Jimi Hendrix and Jimi Hendrix smiles at him. He says, I like you. You got nerve. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, good. So he loses a couple of those guys, decides to be a three-piece band like the Jimi Hendrix Experience, and then he starts losing those guys. One of them goes to audition for the Mork and Mindy show. I'm sorry, did you say Mork and Mindy? Mork and Mindy show. What? <laughs> and the other one just kind of falls out, right? He's just like, hey, I'm not interested in doing this. So he's like, I don't want to be a solo act. But as it turns out, that's right when Frank Beard has made his way down there. And Frank Beard basically pesters him to death until he finally goes into the studio. And when they play together, these are Billy's words. He's like, it didn't take me 30 minutes. It didn't take me 30 seconds. I knew instantly that this guy has the chops that I want to play with. And then, of course, Frank is the one that says, hey, I got a bass player that'll round us out. They bring Dusty down and they play for three freaking hours straight without a break. Yeah. First time to play together, they play Shuffle and See for three hours. And it just keeps on going and going and going. going, yeah. So knowing that is their beginning, it's really disheartening to hear now Billy is just saying, you know what, I'm not really interested in their input anymore. I'm just going to do all of this myself. Right, right. That's, that's a bummer. It is a bummer. Here's the interesting thing to me. You have these guys who start making these awesome music videos, and it's an introduction to a whole new generation of which I was one of those people and so were you. But they also introduced synthesizers into their music, which was abomination to a lot of early fans. Yep. When they took their hiatus, he went to Europe and he went and listened to punk shows, disco shows, started tasting different types of music. And he listened to this band warming up called Devo. Wow. 
and he's like, wow, these guys have these really cool synths and they're still making, you know, great hooks, great energy, you know, great shows. Yeah. And then to kind of further stamp it on them, he went and saw a band called Depeche Mode. Same thing happened there. He was blown away that this band could take this crowd and energize them without guitars. They had no guitars. They had no drums. Oh. And he went backstage and met the guys. This is like 1982. Yeah. Introduced himself, and they're like, you're in ZZ Top. What are you doing at one of our shows? Yeah. He's like, man, I'm just blown away by what you guys can do from the stage. Yeah. Devo, Depeche Mode, ZZ Top. Yeah. He also liked uh, OMD. Really? Yeah. We just finished covering them a month or so ago. Right. And their deal was, we're not going to use guitars. Right. And and then they made that change for Violator. They and, added guitars, right? Yeah, and I, I guess it's just kind of a nice crossover that, that uh, Billy's like, hey, let's bring in some synths. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Love and it. you know who was playing the synths? Lyndon Hudson. You got it. Wow. Yeah. Is Lyndon Hudson credited on this album anywhere? Uh, not initially. <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a minute. All right. Song number three on the album is a song called Sharp Dressed Man. Okay, guys, what I want you to do is play a song that is killer guitar and drums and bass for a solid 20 seconds with no words, just sounds, grunts, it's freaking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. It's this is a killer song. To me, this is the definitive ZZ Top sound. When this song starts, I'm like, that there's no more iconic this is ZZ Top than that first riff. I mean, we're sitting here glowing about this song. This only reached number 56 on the Hot 100. It's insane. It's, what, it's, what is it going on here? It blows my mind. This is the second single. Another video directed by our man, Tim Newman. Yep. You've got the three babes. you got the car. So did we get the new babe by this time? The other one checked out after Give Me All Your Lovin'. So we got a new babe, but it's not Kimberly Heron yet. Yeah. It's still not Kimberly Heron, but there is a, a different third babe. Different third babe. Yeah. Now listen to this. Billy Gibbons got the idea for the name of this song from the movie The Amateur, which came out in 1981. Okay. Which I've never seen. Okay. I don't even really know anything about it. During the credits, somebody was credited at, in the role of Sharp-Eyed Man. Sharp-Eyed Man. Yes. Okay. Oh, by the way, so there's no way that this is the 56th best song in America at the time that it peaked out on the Hot 100. But that week was the same week that Every Breath You Take topped out at number one. Okay. And I remember during our police episode, we talked about how that might be the greatest top 10 ever in the 1980s. I do remember that that was an incredible top 10. I mean, I don't know how there's another 30 before you get up to right. ZZ Top. But right. Yeah. Billy Gibbons called this song the successful marriage of a techno beat with bar band blues. So, Lyndon Hudson was very involved in the early stages of this song. And you just asked me a question a minute ago of, did he get any writing credit on this? Right. No, basically what Billy said is, don't worry, man, I'll take care of you. Right? That was kind of the idea. Yeah. And my guess is, is that when Bill Ham heard that the other guys weren't really involved with Under Pressure, that he started like doing a stronghold. Just as an example of the way the Bill Ham was, number one, he didn't ever let them do TV. 
He didn't ever let them do interviews. He didn't ever let them play on anybody else's stuff. And they're like, hey, you know, shouldn't we do this and get more publicity? And he's like, the less people know, the better. And to be honest, for guys like you and me, these are guys we could totally hang out with, right? Sure. These, these are good old Texas boys. Yeah, Texas boys. For most of the rest of the country, they might be a little frightening. Right? Sure. It's a different kind of language that they speak down in Texas. We're right across the Red River from them. We know that language. <laughs> we do know that language, yeah. That had actually worked out very well for them. They were only doing shows in Texas, and at some point, they get offered to do this Memphis Blues Festival. This was like the Hollywood Bowl of Memphis, right? Like yes. this, And it's just blues musicians. And so they get called out to go do this. This is after their first album. This is after ZZ Top first album. What a great title that is for your first album. Hey, you know, easy top don't first complicate album. things, right? <laughs> and so anyway, they the promoter had called him up, said, hey, love your sound. We would love you guys to come out. He apparently had not looked at the back of the album, right. which had their watercolor drawn faces, which sure. were much lighter complexion than everyone else playing at this blues festival, right? Three whiteies. Yeah. And so whenever they showed up, he was like, you guys are white. You guys are going to shock the crap out of the audience. I don't want you to mess up the show. We're going to stick you at the very end. And that way, hopefully people will have gotten tired and gone home and it will be fine. I don't know what kind of experience this promoter has, but the guys at the end are always the ones that everybody are waiting for, right? right that's, that's the right. end of the, the headliner of the show plays last, right, right? Right. So, of course, when they get up to play, nobody had left. Everybody is still there. There is a bit of a gasp <laughs> in the crowd as these three yeah. bearded rednecks come out. Yeah. Partially bearded rednecks at sure. this point. Cowboy hats. Yeah. But once they kick it into gear and they start playing, not only did the crowd go nuts, but the musicians started to come out and cheer them on. So it was a great show for them. But Bill Ham said, we're not letting you out in public. And that was one of the results. Another thing that he said was, we are not going to double track any instruments on this album. Right. They go up to Tyler, Texas to record with this guy named Robin Hood Bryant. Robin has got this three-piece band. He has been told by Bill Ham, we want this to be a huge sound. This has got to be a very, very big sound. And he's like, for three instruments. Right. Like, yes. And he's like, okay. And so he puts microphones everywhere. He puts microphones in the hallway. He puts microphones right next to the amps. He puts them. He's trying to get any sound that he could from any place that he can, but he cannot find this big sound. And so he starts talking to Billy and he's like, Hey, I have done some double tracking and all you got to do is like you play it once, play it pretty simple and then just detune it just a smidge. And then it, it fills it out. It gives right. it kind of a 12 string flow. And Billy's like, Oh no, we're not allowed to do that. He's like, you're not allowed. He goes, yeah, Bill said no double tracking. We're not allowed to double track. Right. And so Robin Hood thinks about it for a second. He's like, okay, I tell you what, buddy, when I throw you the ball, you catch it. <laughs> and so it's about one or so, and they they haven't found the sound. Bill's getting frustrated. And Robin says, you know, Bill, Billy was telling me he can't play until he's gotten some of the barbecue over there at the county tavern. Billy's like, sees what's going on. He catches the ball. He's like, yeah, man, I can't play the blues until I get me some barbecue. So Bill Ham's like, okay, I'll go pick it up for you guys. Where is it? He tells him where it is. He leaves to go get it. What he doesn't tell him is that it is across county lines, 25 <laughs> miles away, yeah. back when the speed limit was 55 miles an hour. <laughs> right. And so he's, so then Robin Hood says to Billy, okay, we got about an hour and 20 minutes to make this happen. Play something simple. Pick brown sugar, right? You listen to the first nearly two minutes of brown sugar, and it's this very 
quiet guitar and singing sound. And then all of a sudden it's full. Like it's such a contrast, such a great song, but he does the thing, plays it, detunes it a little bit, you know, just pull on the strings a little bit and gets them just tiny bit out of tune. He plays it again. He puts it at 45 degrees from one speaker to the other. Bill Ham comes back in. He's like, you didn't tell me it was all the way across the <laughs> county. Guys, I'm barbecue a long way from here. And then Billy says, Bill, I think we got the sound. He pushes play. It's the overdub. And Bill goes, that's it. Oh, That's yeah, the got sound it. Yeah. that we want. You know, we haven't even really talked about how ZZ Top got their name, right? And so in the early days, they had all these posters of blues artists that they collected. And so you had B.B. King. You had ZZ Hill. So they said, well, we'll just merge those two and we'll become ZZ King. Yeah. Uh, that just sounds really close to BB King. But, you know, the king is at the top. So they're like, there we go. ZZ Top. That's it. Genius, That's right? It. Yeah. By the way, I can't tell you how many times I have drawn the interlocking Zs while bored in <laughs> my high school classes. Hey, speaking of bored, yeah. the ZZ Top wave Yes. Right, that they show in this video? Yeah. The reason why they came up with that is they took like 20 takes. They're like, okay, guys, wave at the camera. Wave at the camera. Wave at the camera. And they're like, ah, that, that sucks. We'll come back to you guys. And then like, so they kind of choreographed it as that kind of lean in, cool wave. Right. Getting back to the long point that I was making, <laughs> whenever Bill Ham, I think, gets the idea that Lyndon Hudson is heavily involved in these songs, I think he probably puts his foot down and says, we are not going to add another artist credit right so on this album you don't see his name you've got several songs that he's heavily involved with not only writing but also producing and playing on them and he gets no credit and he keeps waiting for something to happen and eventually he gives up and he sues them yeah and he breaks ties with billy moves out of his house i mean they were freaking living together i don't remember what he was asking for but what he ultimately got was six hundred thousand dollars which Sounds like a lot, except that this is a huge album, so it seems like it should be more. And then you have to think, his attorney's got a third of that, so sure. that knocks it down to 400000 And then his his publisher got half of what he got, and so that knocks it down to 200000 So was it worth severing ties with ZZ Top for $200,000? Well, I guess it would be if he got no credit on the next album as well, you know? Right. It's a bummer of a thing. It is a bummer of a thing. Their first, their first charting song. This is just to just to say how this goes. Their first charting song was a song named Francine. Yeah, she's only thirteen. Yeah, that's a little creepy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the guys who actually wrote that song for them didn't get credit until the two thousands. Like Francine would have been about fifty five. <laughs> <laughs> they ultimately got credit for the song they wrote. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right, we done with Sharp Dress Man. I guess so. We got to move on. All right. Next song in the album, song number four. This song is called I Need You Tonight. Bluesy, ballady, sweet goodness. I still, I'm, I'm all in four tracks and I love this song. 100%. It is almost slow danceable at the high school gym. It's, it's make outable. No, it's definitely make outable. 
<laughs> like to me, this is this is like you're you're at the pool hall in the wee hours of the morning. It's three o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. and the girl that's still around that is not she hasn't gone home yet. <laughs> you wouldn't kick her out of bed for eating crackers. <laughs> so uh, time to say hello. There you go. <laughs> yes, this is kind of that oozing that bluesy sexuality. You know, oh, yeah, for sure. Love it. I love this story. So when they were first starting out, they played at a show in Alvin, Texas. It's one of those deals where they're hoping for a sellout. Be happy if it's half full. Curtain goes up. One guy in the crowd. <laughs> one. And not only that, he's looking around like, that's it? Just me? Am I in the wrong place? Good night, everybody. I'm out of here. And, they're, and they said from the stage, they're like, wait, 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 wait. Stay put. We'll play our whole set for you. Just for you. Just for you, man. Just stay. So they kind of guilted the guy into sticking around. And then, like, halfway through, they took a break. They went down, talked to him, bought him a Coke. And he said, that guy still comes around. Like, yeah. He still comes to ZZ Top Show. They don't know his name. He won't tell him his name. Ask the dude his name. Yeah, and he and he just says, hey, you remember me? I'm that guy. And they're like, of course, we remember you. The guy, the one the, guy. This is the best story we have. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. In 1984, I don't know if you know this or not. 1984, Billy and Dusty were offered $1 million by Gillette to shave. I do remember that. Yeah? Yeah, I remember when it happened. I, and I remember that they said no. And I remember thinking at the time, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And now, I, it's, in retrospect, I'm like, of course not. No. They're making way more than a million dollars. Well, and here's the other thing. When you look at pictures of, say, Billy Gibbons in 1973, and uh-huh. you look at him now, it looks like two different individuals. Dude, when they got together, he looked like the guy that you'd bring your computer to to get fixed. I mean, he had... Or uh, maybe at that point, since it's long enough ago, he looked like your uh, sophomore year geography teacher. <laughs> like, I mean, receding hairline, no beard, Harry Potter round glasses. Yeah. He just looked like a nerd. And now that beard gives him that cool, you, the glasses, their face is hidden. You don't really know what they look like. Yeah. They're trademark. Can't, can't shave the beard. Right. And here's another thing that happened in 1984. Dusty, who would keep a, a Derringer pistol in his boot, uh, dropped it and shot himself in the abdomen. What? Shot himself in the abdomen, drove himself to the hospital, and passed out just after walking into the oh ER. Wow. Obviously, he recovered. You know, God rest his soul. He passed away just about uh, two and a half years ago, I guess. He did. July of 21, right? Yeah. So the beards. Yeah. The beards came about, like we said, after they had their three-year hiatus. This That hiatus happened after their worldwide Texas tour. Right. Which is a thing of renown. This is where the rest of the country was introduced to Texas. And they did it their own way. They went and got an entire animal show. I mean, they had buffalo and longhorn and buzzards mm-hmm. rattlesnakes so they finished with this huge i mean year and a half long tour after they've been doing multiple albums and they take this big break like you said billy went and toured europe frank went into rehab yeah like he said at some point during that tour i got a check for seventy-two thousand dollars, and that was the first really big check i ever got 
and I spent every single penny of it on drugs. LSD, heroin, cocaine, and you name it. Yep. He was doing it. Yep, yep. And at some point, he was like, I would like to live like normal people where I can just watch TV at night and then go to bed and that'd be okay. Yeah. So he checked himself into a rehab during that time. And then this is, I love this. Dusty Hill, whose given name is Joe. Okay. Went to work in an airport. Yeah, I know. And he had a name tag that said Joe. (laughs) And he said it was fantastic because nobody recognized me. I was just... Another guy, a working stiff like all these other guys, and I would go to the bar with them at night, and we'd just hang out and drink beers, and it just felt so normal and nice. And he said, and on the rare occasion that somebody would recognize me and come up and say something, I'd be like, do you really think I'd be here right now if I was that guy? Of course I'm not him. (laughs) That's, That's a crazy story, man. Yeah. So when they ultimately get back together from all of that, all of them have been letting their beards grow. For three years. Well... Dusty and Billy for three years, yes. Yeah. So they both got pretty well the wizard beard by that point. Uh-huh. Now, Frank had only been letting his grow for a little while. By the way, did you notice I did not shave for this particular episode? <laughs> you see, you see, it's it's still all pretty much around my face. I see it. That's about how long Frank's beard was. And he was like, well, I'm not going to be the guy with the little beard, so I'm just going to shave it off. Yeah. I got the name. I don't need the beard. <laughs> Yeah, I heard. Uh, I heard Billy said we still wrestle with whether we put the beard under the sheets or over the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to the next song. This song is called "I Got the Six. Okay, now if you're familiar with Tush, yeah, and you know that Dusty is the one singing on Tush. You know, Dusty is the one singing on this one. Yep, he is singing, I got the six, give me your nine. So I've got my list of sexual innuendo Yay. songs. You ready for this? Yes. This is easy top. They're known for this. Yeah. Obviously, this is, I've got the six, you give me your nine. Uh-huh. I believe we're talking about what they call 69. By the way, that is what Francine reached. That was their first chart. The first song in the charts was Francine. It reached 69, dude. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. So they have a song called Pearl Necklace. Yes. We cannot say any more about what that means. I'm just saying that's a, <laughs> it's a song called Pearl Necklace. Yes. Okay. They've got a song called Tube Snake Boogie. They've got a song, Velcro Fly, which if you look at the lyrics, it says, well, it feels so right when you squeeze it tight. When you reach the end, do it over again. Okay. Then you've got, of course, you got Tush. Just looking for some. You've got a song called Gun Love. She'll shoot you full of love till your love bone aches. Your love bone? Yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, I mean, give give me all your loving says, if I blow my top, will you let it go to your head? Yes. Lots of innuendo there. They were poets with the sexual <laughs> euphemisms. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Slip inside my sleeping bag. So Hill's singing on this one. He typically sings backup. Most songs he sings backup, sure. but sometimes he sings lead. And sometimes they'll have a back and forth between them. Did you know that then this particular album, you've got some other vocal harmonies by a guy named uh, Jimmy Janison? The guy from Survivor? You got it. What? It was only with Cobra at this time. He had not made it to Survivor yet, but yes. Yes. He was the lead singer for Cobra and Survivor, and they called him up and said, hey, we do some backing vocals. Jimmy Jameson, the guy who replaced the dude who sang on Eye of the Tiger. 
the guy who sang the Baywatch theme. That's it. <laughs> That's right. In the burning heart. Yeah. Okay. Hit stop on your tape player. Kick it out. Flip it over. Side two. We're starting off with a biggie. This is a big one. The song's called Legs. This is a ZZ Top song about women empowerment. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's got legs, and she knows how to use them. <laughs> <laughs> so this was inspired by a true story. Yeah. Billy Gibbs driving down the road, notices it starts raining a little bit. Girl tries to flag him down by showing some leg. Gets a little further past her, and he's like, you know what? I really should go help that woman. <laughs> Turns around, goes back, can't find her. The mystery woman vanished. But he said to himself, the girl had legs, and she knew how to use them. Perfect. It's great, right? This is the last in the Eliminator Give Me All Your Lovin' trilogy. Yep. This is the third video directed by Tim Newman. Yes. And this is the one where the three very god playmates, if you will, <laughs> uh, they come and they, instead of rescuing a guy or taking a guy on a little car trip, they rescue yeah, yeah. I love this video. I almost tear up with this because I'm like, hey, all these bullies picking on her, and there's some people out there that do the right thing. <laughs> okay, so I've got some names for you on this one. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the actress who is the young woman who works at the shoe store that everybody's picking on, yeah. her name is Wendy Frazier. She turned 21 during the shoot. 21 wow. years old. Wow. Okay. So that just... Just put that in perspective. That means she's 61 this year. Oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, she had starred in another video directed by Tim Newman. Yeah. By the world famous artist Baxter Robertson. Okay. And his world famous song called Silver Strand. Not ringing a bell not, for Not me. ringing a bell? No. So he thought, well, crap, since that didn't really do anything, I'll grab her. We'll try this thing again. We'll do something different with her. Yeah. And he ended up dating that girl. And he's like, hey, what can I say? You spend time with people, you start to date them. Yeah. We've got Gina Tomasino, or Gina Keogh, who was in the... OC. The OC. Yeah. Did we mention that she was playmate of June 1980? She was November of 1980. November. Sorry. Hey, we made it. We're still in November. We we are. November of 1980. That's 43 years ago. Yeah. Then you've got Danielle Arnond. We talked about her. She was the girl from France. Yes. Then you have the beautiful Kimberly Heron. There we go. She was Miss March 1981 in Playboy magazine. She was also the blood job ghost from Ghostbusters. <laughs> we can't say blood job. This is family-friendly radio. Sorry, here. sorry. <laughs> now then, I sent you a, a text the other day. She was in Romancing the Stone. Uh-huh. And I said, Dee, do you remember when this girl was in Romancing the Stone? Yeah. And you couldn't really place her. Oh. She is the beautiful woman who is starring in Joan Wilder's novel that's kind of like this imaginary character. Right. The very beginning of Romance and Stuff. Yes. The takes, I remember the barely hanging on white shirt that exactly. she was wearing. She takes revenge on the man who shot her dog and stole her Bible. <laughs> <laughs> this song reached number eight on the Hot 100. Yeah. Okay. Now listen to this. I can't wait to go through this top eight with you. This is July 21st, 1984. This is an all-star Shirley top top eight right here. Okay. All yeah, right? I'm excited. Okay. So number eight is legs. Number seven 
is Almost Paradise by Mike Reno and Ann Wilson from the Footloose soundtrack. Footloose soundtrack. Yep. Number six, no joke, is Def Dave's favorite song from 1984, which nobody else cares about. It's called <laughs> State of Shock. <laughs> Michael Jackson and Mick Jagger, for those of you who don't remember. Oh, wow, that's a long, yeah, I remember it, but right? wow. Yeah. Right? Then you've got Jump For My Love by the Pointer Sisters. Jump, I remember that one too. Yeah? Yeah. Number four is Eyes Without a Face by Billy Idol. Oh, all right. We'll be covering that one next week. Yeah. Number three is Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. Uh-huh. Number two is Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. Wow. Okay. And yeah. number one is When Doves Cry by Prince. 1984, man. Dude. Whew. Powerful. What a lineup. Seriously. Okay. I can't leave legs without talking about the furry rotating guitars. Yeah. That idea actually came from Billy's earlier band, The Moving Sidewalks, whose name is Don Summers. He was the bass player, and it was his idea to have spinning guitars. Idea is it's hooked to your belt buckle and you've got a rotating electric conduit there. Yeah. That's how you still get power to the guitar and are able to spin it in a full 360. Once again, magical on the music video. It is eye-catching and super cool. Yeah. So the next song on the album is a song called Thug. I can remember as I'm driving down the road listening to this song. This was not one that was kind of in my rotation when I had this CD way back when. Right. But I heard this one, and I texted you, and I said, Thug, song Miami Vice would play for a villain from Texas. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, the beginning of this kind of reminds me of the song One Night in Bangkok. You just added those keyboards right there? It's very synthy, right? And this was the one that was written by Lennon Hudson and... I mean, he did it all, basically. It was his song. It was his song, and he didn't get any credit for it. Billy Gibbons is like, hey, like that song. Can I steal it from you for (laughs) ever? Yeah. If you're Billy Gibbons, this song isn't worth not giving somebody credit for. Like, it's not, I mean, it's not a game changer. Right. I don't think there's a skipper on this entire album, but if there was, this would be one. I totally agree. This is the one. Yeah. Okay. Next song. That being said, let's jump to the next one. So the next song on the album is called TV Dinners. So this has got another little synth part in it, but it's much more guitar-paced. It's much more like their older stuff. But it really, to me, reminds me of Our Love's in Jeopardy by the Greg Kilman. It's very... Which, and that immediately makes me go to Weird Al, and I lost on Jeopardy. Yeah, I can totally see that. In fact, I was texting with Doug Gray, friend of the show, and I was asking him what he thought about Eliminator, you know, what song stood out to him. And he's like, TV Dinners is the greatest Weird Al song not sung by Weird Al. 
<laughs> it is perfect. And this is the last one they had a video for, but they didn't have Tim Newman direct this one. It's totally out of place. It's a complete shift in the style of videos. Absolute departure. They use claymation in this thing. It's it's kind of a weird, like almost like ghoulies kind of. Like a goblin, yeah. Who's reaching his arm out from under the, the foil part of the TV dinner. So we've talked about how these videos are so important for MTV. I mean, like the style that Tim Newman brought was an entirely different style for MTV at that point. I mean, this is 83. This is a year and a few months after MTV makes its debut. Right. But we haven't talked about how the band first decided to do videos. Yeah, tell me. So there, it's six months before they start recording for Eliminator and Frank calls up Dusty and he's like, hey man, there's this really good music show on TV right now. You should check it out. It's like the it's like the last channel. Like it's all the way at the end. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> but they've got a good music show going on. You should check it out. It's been really cool. Uh-huh. And so then Dusty starts watching. He's like, this is pretty good. And he calls Billy and He's like, hey, you should check out this TV show. It's all music stuff. It's really pretty cool. You should check it out. And so he starts watching. He watches for three hours, which is a good eight hours after Frank started watching. And then right. Frank calls them both. He's like, how long is this music show going to go on? <laughs> this is the longest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and that, of course, was their introduction to MTV. Twenty-four hours a day, man. You could watch that until about nineteen ninety-five, and then you could have turned it off because there's nothing worth it right. after that. Right. Great story, great song. This video, though, terrible. I mean, the song's good, uh-huh. but I think there's another song that I would have released as a four single other than this one. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I like the song, and I would I listen to the song. When it's it comes a head bobber. Yeah, it is surprising to me that it's a single, but it's it's still a good one. It's sure, still a good one. Moving on, next song. Next song is called "Dirty Dog." <laughs> I think what you meant was the next song is called Dirty Dog. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the song I would have released instead of TV Dinners. I think this is a great song. It's that 120 beats per minute. It's peppy. It's danceable. It's fun. Guitar's great. Catchy. I like it. I like it a lot. Guitars. Mm. I haven't talked guitars yet. I can't believe we're halfway or more through the second side of the album, and I haven't talked guitars yet. Okay, so for this one, he he plays different guitars, right? Sure. For this one, uh, he did not use his Pearly Gates guitar, but his Pearly Gates guitar is his most famous guitar. And you said, you know the story on this. And I said, so you know about the girlfriend in the car? And you were like, no. No, I don't know about the girlfriend. So in 1967, he had... A 36 Packard car, right? Okay, yeah. 36. That's, I mean, it's an over 30-year-old car. Sure, right? sure. And it's a, a hunk of junk, but it runs well, right? Right. And he's got this girlfriend, and she has this opportunity to go audition for a movie. Or Mindy? Hollywood. No, a real movie. Oh, okay. A movie movie. Yeah. But she's got no way to get out there. And Billy, being the guy that he is, he says, why don't you take my car? So he lets her drive this 36 Packard all the way out from Texas to California. She calls him up, and she says, I got the part and I think it's because of the car. And he's like, what? And she's like, I just think, I feel like there's like a divine connection with this car. And I just, I think that's what it is. And he's like, well, I guess we should call that car Pearly Gates. Love it. And she's she's like, yeah, that's great. I love that. A little while later, she calls him up and she says, hey, I sold that car. <laughs> he's like, you did what? <laughs> uh, what? 
It's okay though. I'm going to send you the money. She sends him the money she got from the car, $250. <laughs> As it turns out, there's a farmer in Houston that had something he wanted that had just been sitting under the bed. Yes. So the guy was a former musician. He had a 1959 Les Paul and was ranching, didn't want to, didn't really need it anymore. And he had told some people about it. And this guy called Billy is like, hey, this guy's got a 1959 Les Paul. I think you need to go talk to this guy. Drives out to see him. Guy says, well, I don't know, $250. Pays $250 for that 1959 Les Paul that he got from the sale of the car. Flash forward 20 years and he gets an offer by a Japanese businessman to buy that guitar for $5 million. Uh-huh. He won't sell it. No. It's his sound. It's the ZZ Top sound. Yeah, 100% is. At least the the pre-beard Z, for sure. Yeah, all of those incredible bluesy sounds that they had for their first six to seven albums are predominantly that guitar, that Pearly Gates guitar. And to hear him talk about it, I mean, he still kind of reveres it like it's this divine thing. And we're talking about an ordained minister here. <laughs> Billy Gibbons is Reverend Willie, all right? And he's got a barbecue sauce, too, called Reverend Willie's Barbecue sauce but he talks about this guitar and he says when she was born it was like everything came together exactly as it should the wood is perfect the electronics are perfect everything is set in such a beautiful way straight out of the box could not be a better guitar oh, i love it yeah i have to order some of that barbecue sauce man yeah by the way, side note, did you know that Billy has acted in a TV show called Bones? You know the show Bones, right? Yeah, yeah. So he had a recurring character would show up once a year or every few years or whatever, but he was the, he's the father of the girl character. The girl character's name is Angela, middle name's Pearly Gates Montenegro. Oh, I love that. He is playing a fictionalized version of himself. My wife watches that show. I'm going to ask her about that. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. Dusty has also been in a TV show. Uh King of the Hill, <laughs> where Dusty Hill plays the cousin of Hank Hill. How about that? There you go. Sound Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> Damn it, Bobby. Okay, next song in the album is a song called If I Could Only Flag Her Down. Got some Texas boogie going on in this one, man. This is old school's easy top for sure. Yep. Quick side note, I've got nowhere else to put it, so I'm going to put it here. Ah. William Frederick Gibbons is the son of Freddie Gibbons, who had the Freddie Gibbons Orchestra, who worked very closely with his cousin Cedric Gibbons in Hollywood. Cedric was the art director on over 1,000 movies. Okay. Including Gaslight, which is a pretty famous movie. Yeah. He also was the director on the second Tarzan movie. Like Tarzan meets his mate or whatever it is. <laughs> he was the director of that. Tarzan loved Jane. Yeah. His key claim to fame is this is Billy Gibbons' uncle. His key claim to fame is he designed the statue for the Oscars. You are kidding me. <laughs> I am here to blow your mind. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> <laughs> that's an excellent use of a quotation right there. Way to go. Thank you. Man, that's fantastic. You know, I. The only thing I was going to throw in for you, the Black Crows were opening for ZZ Top early in the 90s. Chris Robinson, who we hope to cover next year, we're going to talk about the Black Crows. Yeah. ZZ Top had an endorsement deal with Miller Lite, 
And they had some, they've kind of become a little more corporatized in their older age. Sure. And Chris Robinson the Black Crows couldn't keep his mouth shut from the stage about corporate deals and commercials and that type of thing. And basically dared ZZ Top to fire him from the stage. And so they did. Wow. He's a bit antagonistic kind of guy. He is. And they were on their way up and really achieved some heights in the early 90s. But the ZZ Top guy said, get on out of here. Yeah. Another tidbit that I have nowhere else to throw in. Sure. Billy Gibbons' mom. Secretary for Lyndon Johnson. Stop it. I mean it. Probably not when he was president. Probably when he was down in Texas where they were. But, yeah, down in Houston. Wow. Yeah. Okay, last song on the album. This song is called Bad Girl. Are you ready? This song starts off and it sounds like they're live. Right. But then once the song goes on, I feel like it's too polished to be live. Is yeah. it? Do you know? Well, I've heard a lot of albums have these sort of live from the studio. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So another thing that came about with this change in tempo and putting the new sounds in and taking out Dusty and Frank's stuff is they started to have to play not just a click track, but like a backing music right track like they had background music that was playing sure of course they didn't let anybody know this they just pretended like it was all them there live well i heard billy gibbons called our buddy lyndon hudson and lyndon hudson was kind of a handyman kind of a do-it-all guy and he's like man we got a problem we're in kentucky we got no backing sound and lyndon hudson's like well have you tried this you tried that and billy gibbons is like could you just fly out here and fix it for us Wow. So he flew him out there. Lyndon shows up. He's like, oh, basically, it's the equivalent of turning the machine off and turning it on. Like, <laughs> okay, guys, uh, I think you're good to go now. Uh-huh. They're like, well, we knew we called the right guy to <laughs> fix the problem. Oh, my gosh. So this song reminds me of when we did Girls, Girls, Girls. The last song on the album was Jailhouse Rock live. Uh-huh. They needed it to kind of round out the album, just kind of throw it in there as filler. I like it, but it just feels like filler. Yeah, I will say this. I need to say this one thing. We didn't mention Terry Manning this whole show. Mm-hmm. He is a guy who's critical to their success. He is the guy who, when they were in Memphis, right after that big blues show, they heard, hey, they're in Memphis. Led Zeppelin had just gotten finished recording Led Zeppelin 3. When Billy Gibbons heard that, he was like, I want that guy to produce our next album. Right. And so they had already started production with Robin Hood down in Tyler, Texas, but they basically took all of those recordings up to Terry Manning. And Terry Manning was the guy who put together that new sound that they have. And he is, he was their key producer. He was the one that was recording them at Ardent Studio. And he was the one that took the tracks home and even in his home studio made this album what it is. And so I don't want to leave it without giving him some some credit. He is a brilliant guy, and it's funny to listen to him talk because he said when they showed up with those beards and asked me what I thought, I thought they look horrible. They're going to ruin your career. Boy, was I wrong. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Eliminator, turning 40 years old this year. And next week, we're going to match it up with Rebel Yell by Billy Idol. Another huge one from 1983. Can't wait to jump into it. That one just, I mean, that one turned 40 just a month ago. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Excited to do it. Should be a great matchup. Early MTV, lots of videos. Should be fun. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Please, if you've got time, 
hit the review button, give us some stars, give us a review, tell us what you think of Eliminator and how it matches up with Rebel Yell, and we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.